Good to have you here on Three and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. A lot to get to here on the program. We'll talk with Clay Helton, new Georgia Southern head football coach, uh, coming up uh, today on the show. Ben will have uh, Troop Talk this week with uh, Albert Hainsworth uh, coming up a little bit later on the show as well. Really looking forward uh, to that. And uh, joining us right here off the bat, we talk a little Georgia and Tennessee, or Tennessee-Georgia, as our uh, next guest would probably prefer. He's currently on injury reserve with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, drafted by the Steelers in 2017 in the fourth round out of Tennessee, where he had one of the most Unbelievable uh, games against Georgia. The Hail Mary uh, to win it at the end uh, there in Athens. Joshua Dobbs joins us here on 3 and Out. Josh, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on today. Hey, we appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, you, you go back to that play and uh, one that obviously sticks out in the minds of a lot of Tennessee fans uh, forever is you, you come down and uh, all looks lost until you heave one to the end zone, what's going through your mind as you let that thing go? Yeah, the, the first, first and foremost with any Hail Mary, you know, it's just to give your receiver a chance. You don't want to be the guy that throws the Hail Mary out the back of the end zone. So it's, it's just to give the receiver a chance. You know, Juwan did a great job getting down to the end zone. The O-line did a great job providing protection. Really had all day back there to kind of find my spot and let the ball go. And uh, from there – Juwan was able to go up and make a play on the ball and, and seal the win for us, you know, in hostile territory. Josh, was that one of those throws where as soon as you let it go, you thought, okay, I feel good about this, or did it take kind of that magic happening in the end zone uh, for it to really hit you? No, I definitely felt good, out, good about it out of my hand. Um, but it's definitely a daunting throw because when you look down at your target, you know, it's not like a go ball where you kind of see the receiver – coming open and you lead them or, or like a, a big end where you see the window and you're really, you're throwing it up and there's five people standing on the exact spot that you're throwing the ball to. So um, it feels good out of your hand, but at the end of the day, you got to have a lot of trust in the guy on the other end of it. Um, so it, it's one of those memories though that, you know, I remember throwing it and then I remember the vantage point I had of, of seeing Juwan's, you know, mitts catching the ball you know, above all the Georgia defenders and coming down with it. And then, of course, you know, um, the excitement ensues once the catch is confirmed. And, Josh, it's one thing to obviously know you have to do it. It's another thing to do it. But how long did that ball stand there? We, obviously, in real time, it only took like a second or so. But when you're watching it, did it seem like time just stood still while you're waiting on this thing to come down? Oh, yes, without a doubt. I mean, I feel, I feel like I had time to, to look at the ball, kind of look around the stadium, find my parents, give them a wave, check the sideline, all, all before the ball came down. Um, so it, it definitely, it definitely um, felt like a long time. But in the moment, man, you're just like, there's so much adrenaline rushing, there's so much going through your head. Obviously, you know, it was an emotional back-and-forth game leading up to that point. So... Um, you know, you just want to go home with, with, with the victory. So a lot goes through your mind, but at the end of the day, you just want to make the play um, and go celebrate with your teammates. And, and Josh, you played really well uh, during that uh, that ball game. I think four total touchdowns. And uh, you look at the, the way you played that day in Athens, and uh, was there ever a doubt that maybe you were going to have the ball in your hand with a chance to uh, to go out and win that football game? All right, so if you, were, if you kind of rewind back in that game, you know, we – we um, had the lead, and they had the ball driving, right? And there was only 15 seconds left. 
They were around midfield. They had no timeouts. We're sitting on the sideline thinking, I mean, this is the, we're in the perfect situation. But they got to score a touchdown to win. Uh, we're on the sideline. They have no timeouts. One ball caught in bounds, and the game's over. So, so we, we, didn't really, we didn't think we were going to have to go back on the field, really. Um, so I go, it, it goes to show you know, your mental toughness. You go from you know, celebrating and then getting ready to enjoy the victory to then losing to then getting back locked in to then going out making a play and securing the win. So it, it was definitely a roller coaster ride of an ending. And a lot of success for you, Josh, against Georgia during your career. Was that a game that was extra special, just being that it's a rivalry game and also uh, you being from Metro Atlanta? Yeah, without a doubt. I grew up, I didn't, I never grew up a Georgia fan. Um, but I will say my entire town and high school um, definitely rubbed that uh, Georgia Bulldog red in your face whenever they have the opportunity to. So, to, to um, you know, your senior year, that was my only game. I got a chance to actually play in Sanford Stadium. Um, so your senior year, um, on the road at Georgia, both top 25 ranked teams. And to win, you know, obviously would like to win in less dramatic fashion, but um, love the great memory of winning on the road with a Hail Mary in your home state. That, that's, that's saying something. I mean, here you are, Metro Atlanta guy. Everybody know that where's Josh going to go when you decide to go to college? How many of your teachers turned on you when you, you know, when you put when you put that Tennessee ball hat on? Not too many teachers, but I will say some classmates showed their true colors. Uh, keep in mind, you know, as you said, I'm from Alpharetta, Georgia, um, so I think you know about 50 percent of my graduating class ended up going to the University of Georgia. So, for instance, like that game, like on the sideline, I think like five of their cheerleaders were my high school cheerleaders cheerleaders at Alpharetta. Um, so I knew, I knew several of them. I, I, like, I knew so many people that had gone, were at school there at the time. Um, so it, it, definitely, it, definitely, it definitely felt good to have those bragging rights. Josh Dobbs joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, Josh, you look at, at, at this year's team in, in Tennessee. Uh, how much as a quarterback would you like to play in Josh Heupel's offense where it's go, go, go? It's exciting, man. They, they throw – the ball all over the field. They run that up-tempo offense. What's really cool to see is just how well they utilize the spacing on the field. You know, they have receivers split a yard from the sideline, running a goal ball down the sideline, forcing, you know, that horizontal stretch on the defense. So it's a, it's a fun offense to watch. I know I would have had a lot of fun success running that offense, but I'm excited for the current players there. Um, it's really fun watching Hendon kind of, you know, come into his own as the seasons progress and see how well he's playing right now. You go on the road, you be a really good Kentucky team. Um, last week, um, you're putting up numbers each and every week. I've enjoyed watching them, um, and I've enjoyed just watching that steady improvement that I'm sure all of All Nation has seen throughout the season. And, Josh, you're obviously one of the great quarterbacks in Tennessee history. What stands out to you when you watch Hendon Hooker uh, having the success that he's having? I think, first of all, you know, he's really taking what the defense is giving him. You know, they're in a two-high shell. They're getting to a good run look. In a single-high shell, he's able to take advantage of his one-on-one matchups. He's able to get the ball out of his hand quick, uh, protecting the O-line. And then, you know, when nothing's down the field, he's able to use his athleticism. So it, it definitely adds an uh, added dimension when the quarterback's able to um, – when quarterback's able to throw the ball, put the ball in the right place, and also – 
use his leg only when needed. And that's what he's doing a great job. He's protecting himself as well. So um, he's playing at a high level. I know we have a a really good Georgia team coming into town this weekend for homecoming, so we'll need to continue to play at that level uh, this week for sure. And, Josh, I mean, something that you just mentioned, I mean, being able to take what the defense gives you, being patient, when you talk about what Hendon Hooker is able to do, just talk about that at the quarterback position, just understanding that, look, he's athletic, he got a big arm, he can make all the throws, but you always want to put your offense in the best position to go out there and stay ahead of the chains and not kind of have them, you know, uh, giving opportunities to a defense in Georgia that doesn't give a lot of room to breathe. Definitely. I mean, you hit it on the head. You know, it's, it's well, our, our, my coach up in Pittsburgh always says, you know, every meal is not a banquet. Every play you can't go out there and throw the home run ball. Even though we all would love to, we all want to show off the cannon. Uh, but you got to save the cannon to just use it when, when it's needed. And, um, you know, sometimes taking the flat route, taking the hitch route, taking that underneath um, route in a too-high shell defense is needed so that when you get that one-on-one matchup, you invite that one-on-one matchup, first of all, and then when you get it, you're able to take advantage of it. So uh, we, we definitely have to do that this, this week because you're playing a defense that is a very stingy defense. You know, they don't give up any big plays. Um, they force you to drive the field. Um, it's the same defense that, you know, Kirby was running when, when I played him uh, several times. So they force you to drive the field. So you have to take what is given. Um, and once you take what's given, then you're able to invite a one-on-one matchup outside, and that's when you're able to create a big play. But to start the game, you know, you got to stay in front of the, in front of the chains, protect the football, because the offense also preys on the short fields and, and plays complementary football with the defense. So we can't keep their offense off the field, keep their defense on the field, and take what they give them. If we do that, then we'll let Nealon in, in that environment and our fans kind of take over and create that dynamic environment we all love to see in Nealon, and uh, it will definitely be a ball game with them. I was going to say, Josh, what's the conversation like amongst the offensive players this week? Uh, because you obviously said things you can do. Is it we need to put points up early? What is the conversation like knowing that, again, this is a defense that hasn't given up? I don't think they've given up 14 to anybody all season long. I think you, know, you just have to play within yourself. You know, you kind of go back and look at the games they play. You know, other teams have kind of have set, seen that number one next to their name and felt like they've had to play out of their character and they have to create a big play. And that's where they've got into trouble. So you have to play within yourself. Um, you know, you have to just go out and take it one play at a time. You know, Tennessee has shown that we are capable of putting up numbers. You know, we put up numbers on the road at Alabama. So you show you can do it against really good teams if you just play your brand of football. Uh, so you can't worry about the past stats or the past teams. Just play your brand of football. Each game is its own, and uh, you just got to go out and make the plays when they're there. And if you do that, then you'll give us a chance uh, to win the ball game in the end. Josh, finally, uh, Tennessee, one of the great programs uh, in the SEC. What did it mean to you to, to 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 play for the Vols, be a leader for the Vols, and how much do you think about your college days, uh, even now, still in the NFL? Yeah, you know, I definitely uh, loved every second of it. Um, and I definitely, and my goal was to make the most of it. You know, playing for such a um, such a tremendous brand as the University of Tennessee, um, being especially the quarterback of the program, and you guys know all the great quarterbacks that have played at the university, and to be considered as one of the greats as well um, has meant and will always mean so much to me. You know, Tennessee definitely has a special place in my heart. I love my time there, and, um, you know, I'm just always excited to go back and pour into the, to the next 
team, the next generation, and just as and, and ensure that they see, you know, the power of that that T that they were on the side of the helmet. You know, it means a lot to be a University of Tennessee football player. Um, the the obviously the state of Tennessee, the, the program means so much to it, as well as it being a national brand. So every week you you turn on the TV, you see the University of Tennessee playing. You know, people are tuned in, and and a lot of a lot of people want to beat us, and that's not always a bad thing. So. Um, it, it, I definitely loved my time there, and um, it's an honor to be considered as one of the greats. Josh Dobbs joining us here on 3 Now. Josh, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. You guys have a good one, and go balls always. Appreciate it. Josh Dobbs joining us here on 3 and Out. As again, Georgia and Tennessee getting ready to square off uh, coming up this Saturday there in Knoxville. So this week, fellas, we've had David Green with the hobnail boot. And Josh Dobbs with the Dobbs nail boot uh, game here in this series. That's right. And great memories from both guys. And Josh, Georgia fans know this, of course, one as a junior and a senior beat, beat Georgia back to back years as an upperclassman. And uh, to hear David Green go back to that game 20 years ago to hear uh, Josh go back, what, five years now uh, uh, to his senior season and that throw and uh, to hear him talk about the rivalry. Really, really cool. Great perspective on those historic moments in this game uh, from those men. Always good uh, when you have former players, BJ, talking about what they want to go back and do for the current crop of players. And he's talking about how you know, how big the brand is uh, of Tennessee. And obviously, you know, he's one of the greatest to ever do it. And, and Kevin, I mean, listen, to go back to back against some Georgia Bulldogs his time, that's when the trash talk gets to – that's what really lives on. But, look, I know Georgia's good, but when I played them, all you can control is when you play them, and that – is arguably the greatest play in that Tennessee-Georgia history from the Tennessee side coming from Mr. Dobbs. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben got the college football poll out. Week number two. Everybody's still talking about uh, how it's going to uh, end up three, four weeks from now. But as it stands right now, you got Georgia, Bama, Oregon, and Ohio State. That would be your four as of right now. Then Cincinnati goes up to five. Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma State are your top ten. And before everybody gets all in a tizzy, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, as I look at it, everybody in the top ten will play somebody else in the top ten the rest of the way with the exception of Oregon and Cincinnati and Notre Dame, I believe, if that's so seven of the 10 will play somebody else in the top 10 before we get to the final playoff poll. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of movement. There's going to be a lot of change. And I know Cincinnati probably is still frustrated, even though they move up a slot after Michigan State drops. But my question is what happens and interested to get y'all's thoughts on this. What happens if Ohio State and Oregon both went out? And the reason that's so fascinating is because if that were to happen, you would have Oregon as a 12-1 and Pac-12 champion. You would have Ohio State as a 12-1 and Big Ten champion. And Oregon would, of course, have a head-to-head over Ohio State. They played back in September uh, at Ohio State, and Oregon won by a touchdown. I think it would be an interesting test case because Oregon would obviously, clearly, have the head-to-head win over Ohio State But I think when you look at the totality of the resumes, Ohio State would have a much more impressive resume on paper because, oh, Kevin, you talk about teams that play teams in the top ten. Ohio State's next two games or two of their next three, something like that, are Michigan State and Michigan. 
So Ohio State could have two wins over top seven teams in addition to the wins they already yeah. have. And in addition to a Big Ten championship game win, they could end up having five wins over ranked teams with two wins over top seven teams. How would you compare and contrast that against maybe a less impressive overall resume for Oregon, though the Ducks would have the head-to-head win over Ohio State? To me, when I look ahead and who knows, I mean, somebody may lose a game, we're not expecting it, it might not matter. But that's the kind of the, the situation in addition to Cincinnati where I think that could be pretty compelling and could prompt some debate. And BJ, that's that, that's why if you're Cincinnati, you got to feel a certain type of way, right? We're talking about we're talking about a the big the biggest brand, obviously the bigger brand is Ohio State. A brand that keeps on gaining, you know, brand equity is Oregon. How do they gain it? Well, they beat Ohio State. And this is another thing about Oregon that we don't talk about, BJ. By the time by the time they play their games, well, my bedtime is, is vastly approaching. I mean, I don't get to see them a lot. They got a headliner in Kayvon Thibodeau. But I think, BJ, when you start thinking about it, it'll, it'll come down to who, who does the college football playoff committee, what do they value? Do they value the body of work of Ohio State or do they value the head-to-head with Oregon, Ohio State. I don't know how integral that room gets. I don't know how many how many disagreements go on in that room. But the Pac-12 has not had a representative rep, representative a representative in uh, the college football playoff here here as of late. I don't know if that factors in, Kevin. I know I know. Listen, Greg Sankey, like listen, I'm getting I'm getting a piece of that pie. I don't care who it is. Hopefully, he gets two big chunks of it, depending on what go on with uh, Alabama. But I just think BJ, you know, we obviously talked a lot before the show. You talking about body of work? Well. Oregon, they might as well be the ACC. They don't got no help. There is nobody in that conference that can help them. Ohio State, outside of losing to Oregon, they've been really, really good, and they got a Heisman Trophy, you know, Dark Horse and C.J. Stroud. So they got some brand equity there. So for me, B.J., the fact that Oregon is in front of them now, now Cincinnati, they just going to be parked right there at five. They ain't going up. They could go down. If Oregon wins out, what reason would the committee have to push, to not keep them there if they're already putting them there right now? Well, hold on now because, because Kevin, that's where I think you have to look at this week to week. I agree with you that, that, that you would think Oregon being at three and Ohio State being at four, if Oregon keeps winning, they would stay ahead of Ohio State. But Ohio State will have two games against top ten teams coming up. So if you're supposed to reevaluate the resume every single week, and Ohio State, in theory, is adding two top ten wins, and Oregon is just adding two kind of uh, okay wins, I, I think that would create an opportunity where, in theory, Ohio State would be able to, to jump over Oregon. Or, Kevin, do you see it differently? Yeah, I, I think the committee sees it the way you see it. Uh, and, and, again, I think uh, – if you think they're one of the four best teams, I think some of it might end up being semantical. Uh, you know, where, where is there a big difference between four and three? Probably because you don't have to play Georgia uh, in the first round. I think the interesting part uh, of it could be, depending on how this thing plays out, it may not matter for those two teams. Uh, and I say that in regards to Alabama. If Alabama loses again, BJ, I think they're out. I think they're out. Uh, and so that would push Ohio State and Oregon up. And then you're talking about 2v3 versus 3v2. Guess what? You still have to play each other. It doesn't really matter uh, at, at that point. I agree with Ben. Cincinnati, you've just bumped your head. That, that bump you feel on your head is the ceiling. You have, you have just gone as high as you are going to go. And you're not getting in. You are never going to get in. We already know that. We can argue about it. But you're not getting in. You're never going to get in. I think the intrigue lies behind them, 
because with who Cincinnati or Cincinnati has left, it hurt having SMU lose. You're gonna probably not play a ranked team in the uh, the conference championship game. Oklahoma's got Baylor on the road this week. That's a top 15 team. They've got Oklahoma State in Bedlam the last week of the regular season. Oklahoma's sitting there at number 10. Oklahoma State, excuse me, sitting there at number 10. So Oklahoma didn't move, despite the fact they didn't play. If they win those two games, they will leapfrog Cincinnati and be in position to get in the college football playoff. Michigan and Michigan State have a chance to leapfrog Cincinnati and get in the college football playoff if Ohio State goes down in those ball games. So I don't see a way that Cincinnati gets in, and the committee wants it that way. It's, I said it from the beginning, it's easier to keep them out than to push them out if you had started with them at number three or number four and they keep winning and you're saying, yeah, but they're going to come out just because. So you start with them out, you get them to five, it's a cute story, we all know they're not going to get in. And you look at the games behind them and you can already see it unfolding right there that even if they win out, they will not get in. They will be undefeated sitting right there at number five and as Ben said, uh, playing the Pat Sajak uh, role. We got some nice, uh, you know, participation prizes for you. Thank you for playing the game. Here, go to the Orange Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl or wherever it is you want to. We're, we're going to send you, and you can play in a New Year's Six Bowl. So, I, I think that's how I see it unfolding. I think the Oregon Ohio State is going to play itself out, largely depending on what happens with Georgia Alabama. To me, that's the key to the rest of this. Is if Alabama does not beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, and Georgia looks like Georgia wins out. I think Alabama's done. Yeah, and and it is looking like there's a scenario where it'll kind of fall into place with some of the same. I mean, for all the and and look, Oklahoma's very low in the poll, but you mentioned teams playing each other. Somebody's got to lose. I mean, for all the talk of how crazy it all could be, might we be sitting here with Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma when the time it's all and you know by the time it's all said and done? But I think your point about Cincinnati, if you buy into some of the big picture, you know, stuff. Look. You put Ohio State at six in the first poll. Everybody's upset, frustrated. Then you move them up. Hey, we moved them up. We moved them up. But you never move them into that four slot, like you said, Kevin, because if you do, there at least would be the the kind of the optics that you would need to keep them there unless unless they lose a game. And you still have some, some tough games coming up. I mean, SMU, Houston, they've been in and out of the polls. You're going to have to play probably SMU twice with the ACT championship game. But I don't, I don't think you're going to see Cincinnati well, move any higher, yeah, I mean, at B, least right now. BJ, my whole point with the committee is, again, Ben says, look, my frustration is they don't tell us how they vote. They just give us the reasons. So you get the group speak for how they voted. It is much easier to say Cincinnati didn't do enough than to come out and Baylor and TCU them and say, yeah, we know they won all their games, but we moved them out anyways. You, it's, it's easier to say why they weren't in as opposed to why you kicked them out. Uh, because then you got to come up with some lame argument that everybody's going to see right through and say, look, you just didn't want them in there. And that's fine. Keep them on the outside looking in. You don't have to explain yourself. You just say they didn't do enough. Well, what does that mean? Well, they didn't do enough. They didn't have a strong enough schedule. Is, is that all their fault? No, Indiana was not what they were expected to be this year. Some of the other teams fell off. Not their fault, but it's a good enough reason to keep them out as opposed to putting them in and pulling them back out. At the end of the day, Kevin and BJ, this is this this is why this is why you know it needs to be probably more representation in that in that uh in that college football playoff committee. Maybe you got teams in there that have no shot of their conference even getting in, just to show you how. Because sometimes you know we need to be shown our blind spots. We're very very well, biased. We don't we just don't know that we are. But Ben, I think some of these groups do have representation in the room. It's just the fact is they're one voice, 
right? I mean, you have a representative from all the Power Five leagues. You have representatives from G5 and four. But they're ju- again, if I'm representing the ACK, I am one voice in that room. Mm-hmm. Just out there pushing for, for, for Cincinnati. But, 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 Who else is coming with me? I mean, for the other guys in the room, some of these guys are conference commissioners. There is an active reason for them to want a Pac-12 team in there. The, the, one of the, the, the spokesmen for the committee is an AD at Iowa. He is at Iowa. Wouldn't it stand a reason with revenue sharing and things of that nature? Hey, if I can make sure a Big Ten team gets in there, that's lucrative for me. Again, I'm not saying it's perfect, but they are but one voice out of many voices in the room there trying to make their case. I'm, listen, I get it, Kevin. I get it, BJ. But the whole thing about it is, I mean, we've watched enough college football, BJ and Kevin. And this is the thing. We watch it for two reasons, right? We watch it because we got a vested interest with, with what we do for a living and teams that we root for. And we love upsets. You know who else was a double-digit uh, you know, uh, favorite last week? Alabama. And they barely beat LSU. They barely beat them, but they beat them. Florida was a double-digit and got the brakes beat off them by South Carolina. As much as we know what happens, because you know who can break this whole thing up? That would be the Tennessee Vols. <laughs> Think about this. If Georgia has a one in the L column, Whoa, just man. listen, BJ. If, one, I, if Georgia has a one in the L column, now the conference championship game matters because what I'm saying is this, this is 2021 college football to where there are more good teams that we don't know about than the teams we look at all the time. Cincinnati is good. And, and like you said, Kevin, it ain't their fault. That we don't know, we know more about Joe Burrow than we know about, you know what I'm saying? Rid, riddling those guys. They play really, really good football. So if Cincinnati is good enough to be in the top five right now, they're good enough to be in the top four because they have a zero in the L column with Notre Dame as a win. But you know what they don't have? They don't have the prestige of Oregon. They don't have the prestige, you know, of Ohio State or Oklahoma or Michigan State or Michigan. Or or this was crazy. What if Notre Dame wins out? And at the end of the year, they're not going to be in the college football playoff. And they end up higher in the college football playoff than, than uh, Cincinnati. You know why I say that? Because you know who's higher right now? Michigan State is behind Michigan, and Michigan lost to Michigan State head-to-head. I don't know how the college football playoff uh, committee um, you know, uh, does it, uh, Kevin, but that's why I do radio and I talk <laughs> trash about them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. that's why we're here, just to, to talk about how much we disagree with them. And, again, they do things that make you scratch your head. That's why a lot of folks are saying – Look, expand the playoffs. Add some provisions to make sure some of these teams can get in. Uh, because, again, what's the best way to validate yourself? Give me a shot. And I know people say, well, if they played now, well, yeah. If you never give me a shot and you base everything on what will happen now and in the future on one shot, well, then, yeah, that, that's never going to happen. But I think how programs like a Cincinnati, uh, Coastal Carolina, an App State, a Georgia Southern, if they were to get into this position, and others, the way they grow their program, give me that shot. Maybe I lose, but I still got in there. I probably recruit better. Let me in there again. Maybe I win. And then you're really starting about uh, putting a new trajectory out there for the direction of your program. We'll come back. We've got more to debate on this uh, as we move forward. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Produced last week. As the head coach at Georgia Southern, we'll get the chance to catch up with the new head eagle uh, coming up here on 3 and Out. We'll have Troop Talk coming up next hour as well as Ben sits down with Albert Hainsworth and talks a little college football with him. So looking forward to that coming up in just a little bit as well. But BJ and Ben, we were talking you know, about pathways and ways to improve the college football playoff. 
Obviously, expansion is out there on the table. I think a lot of conference commissioners want it. Uh, the move to 12, uh, and it would satisfy some of the need of folks to say, look, we're all Division One, but we all don't have a pathway to get a chance. And I don't think anybody's saying they want to be gifted a national title, but they are saying, hey, we at least want a chance to, be, to say we're all playing on the same level. Give us an opportunity to at least go out, win games on the field, and try to get there uh, into the playoffs. How do you think we go about getting there? I know I've been a, a conference championship should matter the most because everybody can control that. You can go out, play by the rules in your conference, and go try to win a championship. If you don't, you leave it up to whatever else may lie ahead. But everybody to start the season can go out and win their conference championship if they go out and do it on the field. For me, I think there needs to be a hybrid of, of pathways if you're talking about expanding, and I don't know if that's 8 or 12 now. It seemed like uh, you know there was kind of a, a, an idea of this is what's going to happen, and now maybe we don't know as much. But I, I think if there's a mixture of conference champions and in large bids, that makes sense. Uh, of course, you think about the NCAA tournament, you're a very different situation with a much larger tournament, of course. But I think the same principle applies where I, I – I worry about exclusively focusing on conference champions because in theory you could get into a situation where you are punishing teams for playing in tougher conferences and rewarding teams for playing in easier conferences. And I think the idea is to do the opposite of that. I think, you know, for example, and, 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 and I'm just throwing out examples. Let's say Georgia and Alabama uh, both entered this SEC championship game undefeated and they were one and two, like they are, in the playoff poll and Georgia loses by a field goal to Alabama. Well, all that loss means is that on that day, Georgia was not better than Alabama, and Alabama was the number one team in the country. And again, in theory, in this hypothetical situation, Georgia advanced to that point while beating Florida and Tennessee and Auburn and Kentucky, and maybe they have LSU in a crossover or A&M. They, in theory, would have played a much more difficult schedule than potentially a Virginia Tech or Miami or Wake Forest or NC State or Clemson who wins the ACC and maybe has one top 25 win, whereas Georgia is technically not a conference champion in this scenario, but they have five conference wins. To me, the proper response to that would be to reward Georgia for playing a tough, tough schedule and being in the toughest conference, not punish them solely because they weren't as good as the number one team in the country, a challenge that the ACC champion or the Pac-12 champion or the Big 12 champion didn't have to face. So I like the idea. I agree with you. I think there has to be a group of five uh, 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 pathways that are guaranteed. I think conference championships can be very valuable. But I don't think they can be the totality because if you focus on that and that alone, you punish teams for playing tougher schedules and you reward teams for playing easier schedules. And in the scenario we just described, the only reason Georgia would not make the playoff as a non-conference champion would be that they're right next to Alabama geographically and they had to play them. So I, I, I think that it needs to be both, a mixture should, of at-large and conference champs. So should the San Diego Padres have been in the playoffs? I, this past baseball season? Yeah. You want me to draw a parallel between a sport that has 162 yep. games? Yes, well, we punished the well. San Diego Padres for playing in a very tough division, and the Atlanta Braves won the World Series by having a disproportionate amount of games against a perceived weaker division. Sure, but I think that pro baseball with 162 games is a different dynamic than college football where you have 
an abstract postseason format that is very much objective and or subjective, I should say. And you have 12 games where you're basically trying to compare and contrast. I look, yes, you have that in the NFL. You have that in uh, maybe even college basketball. Didn't Villanova or UConn or somebody win when they were a seven or an eight seed? I just think if you're telling me to 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 answer that question with a question. Would you be rewarding or punishing Georgia for being in a tougher conference if only conference champions got in? I, have I ever said only? I, I said conference championships should matter and get in. Under a 12-team scenario, there's obviously extra spots uh, left over uh, when you do that. But I do think uh, if you want to take the subjective and put some of it on objective, did you win your conference? That's a yes or no answer in a Power 5. Everybody had the chance. Now, I've stuck by this. Okay, so one conference champion may have four losses. If you think they stink, they will probably get beaten in the first round. Yeah, but that that also doesn't no, no, but that also that's but that also idea. doesn't mean that out of a 12 team conference out of a 12 team playoff that we look at say uh, a Pac-12 champion that's 8 and 4 and say, "Well, because you're in the Pac-12, you're a 4 seed." No. No, that, 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 we don't have to do it that way. They could very well be the 12th seed. And then there, it's the very last All team. I'm saying is, and then I'll be quiet. All I'm saying is the idea, because this is what I get with people who say I want the four best. The idea of the playoff is not to use it as a validator for who should or should not have made it. The idea of the playoff is to reward the teams who earned their way by playing the tougher teams, the tougher challenges, the more consistent schedules, by having the better efforts, it's not meant to be a validator. It's meant to be a reward of a successful season. Yeah, but BJ, even with that though, think about think about think about the AP top twenty-five. How many teams in some of these conferences, no matter how they play, are not going to be ranked preseason, during the season, after the season? And sometimes, you know, yeah, I mean, is was Texas really that you know the eleventh best ranked team when they played Oklahoma? Maybe. Maybe not, because I think the true indicator is, oh, why do we even rank teams before the season? Why don't we wait till, you know, three or four weeks into the season, let teams start separating themselves, then do a ranking? Because what happens is there is nothing wrong with letting – if you won your conference, even if you're – because if that's the case, Clemson would have never been a college football playoff contender, ever, with their conference. But because they was going undefeated and they was had players with big names, marquee players, marquee coaches, I get that part. But the whole thing about it is – if five, you got five automatic qualifiers or what may have you, then you start talking about, all right, let's start going through these conferences to see who is who. It's not gonna, it's never ever gonna be a one size fits all. You're not gonna, you're not gonna please everybody. But if winning your conference don't matter, what does? Like you're in a conference for a reason, and you're right. Like the thing about it is, it's like when you start talking about um, when you start talking about uh the NCAA tournament. Either you can win your conference in the regular season or you can win the conference championship in the conference tournament well, to get a bid. I'll just put it this way. And you can talk about the uh, this all you want. I'm in favor of expanding the conference schedule. I think that's important. I would like to see the ACC and SEC go to nine games. And I, I get it. But I also think we say, well, there could be a three-loss champion. You put Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC, I guarantee you in the not-too-distant future, there will be a two- or three-loss champion in the SEC because it is tough. You're not going to be able to just run right through it and, uh, and, and, and get it done. So I don't necessarily just look at – I mean, you've long said, look, don't just look at the losses and say what's losses. It's who you lost to, and I get it. That's why I think you would have some traction for a league like the SEC or this year the Big Ten where it is very tough to maybe say, okay, 
You won your conference. You had two or three losses. Maybe you were a great team. You earned it on the field. But that number two team is also very good. So I, I, I don't think you're punishing people for playing a tough schedule. I think you are rewarding people for going through the same conference that everybody else did. Uh, you know, if you're going through uh, the SEC, if Georgia has no losses, and let's say Auburn has three, and Auburn beats them in a championship game under the rules, I mean, Auburn, they play by the same rules. They won the SEC. That doesn't mean Georgia's out. But it does mean Auburn won the league, and I don't think they should be punished for that either. So I, 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 that's just why I like, at least in the Power Five, and you can say the top G5 conference champion probably most years is on the fringe this year would be Cincinnati to get a shot to get in there. Everything else, you can. there's still room for other teams who maybe fell a game short, lost the wrong game, to still have a second crack at it uh, in the playoff. I would like to see conference, uh, if we're going to do it, conference games kind of standardized out. Nine, I really wouldn't have a problem with 10 conference games since we're going to all these mega conferences. Play more of the people in the conferences with which you are aligned, not less. Play them more. We all want to be a part of the SEC? Fine. Play more SEC. You all want to be a part of the ACC? Fine. Play more ACC games. You all want to be part of the Big Ten? Fine. Play more Big Ten games. I think nine or ten, everybody should have to play in conference, and you still have a chance to go out and schedule a hero there if you want to bolster your resume. But I, I would like to – you get a more well-defined conference champion that way uh, the more games you play as well. So, I, Also, Kevin, i got to ask you this real quick. Didn't Because I'm still stuck on this. Didn't the Padres have a losing record overall? Right, but we, we punished them because they played in a division with 206, 107-win teams, and they yeah, played, see, and they they played a disproportionate amount of games against that conference, 500. that division. Do what? But they were under 500. Right, but to quote the SEC, if they played in the East, how many games would they won? Yeah, but how many under 500 teams are being argued to be in the playoffs? I mean, Cincinnati might as well be under 500. That's how they're getting treated. Even it, it, I, I just think at the end of the day, uh, Kevin and Beach, I, listen, I think the conference championship should matter because you can't always look at how many wins and losses that should decide how, how well that conference champion, you know, when I, it should be represented. Sometimes, BJ, you have a down year and, and the conference champion, you know, got you know, three or four losses. That don't, but, for, but once again, just like in bowl games, no, your, your record doesn't matter at that point when it's a one-game scenario. I do think the conference championship should matter because that's the only way some of these conferences are going to get in. And P5 might not be the barometer either, but we'll see. we got to step aside. Clay Helton coming up. Final hour of the program. Albert Hainsworth next hour for Troop Talk. It's 3 and Out. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. We'll have Troop Talk coming up next hour with Ben and uh, we will be chatting with Albert Hainsworth. We'll also hear from Clay Helton, Georgia Southern head football coach, coming up in the final hour of the program. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. <laughs> 